Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that pits two movies with something in common in a fight to the death to see which one comes out victorious. This week in the red corner, it's the ghost with the most. Everyone's favourite bioexorcist pervert, say it once, say it twice, third time's the charm. From 1988, we're talking Beetlejuice. While in the blue corner, Peter Jackson's final film before he began his journey into Middle-earth for the first time. From 1996, Michael J. Fox is putting the frighteners on people. Adam and Barbara are... Ghosts. What's the good of being a ghost if you can't frighten people away? Their house is being haunted by the living. Maybe the house could use a little remodeling. And they can't scare them into leaving. They're dead. It's a little late to be neurotic. So they're calling on Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Who's no ordinary ghost. You don't want his help. Can you be scary? What do you think of this? Now, the party's over. You want somebody out of the house? I want to get somebody out of your house. (laughs) Frank Bannister had a remarkable ability. Psychic investigator? To communicate with the dead. You, you could see spirits? Emanations are normally confined in the cemetery. You cannot push spirits around! Although they do escape. And an uncanny knack. We're gonna scare the living daylights out of your parents. For making a profit off the living. We're supposed to be his business partners. Everyone says that you're a fraud, but I've seen what you can do. Give it up, Frank. Death ain't no way to make a living. So it's a ghost versus ghost face-off in today's fight to the death. Let battle commence. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Potters. It's showtime. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. Hey, guys. Good weekend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So today, however, yep. bad news, Chris is stressed, right? 
Yeah, but we don't need to talk about it. I just, I, I feel it's best to verbalise it up front because right. I know some of the best shows we have are when you're stressed. <laughs> also, you know, I sometimes try to use a natural deodorant and it doesn't work. Uh-huh. I tried a new one this morning and I'm just suddenly very aware it hasn't worked. So I just moved my T-shirt. I was like, wow, that, that doesn't work. So just, I, you say you're stressed, but you're also going to be disgusted. I bring deodorant for these very occasions, Vicky, okay, cool. specifically for you. So at the halfway point, we can go and grab yourself. I'm so sorry. For the it's first... just cancer or stink. It's like it's hard, isn't it? For the first hour, <laughs> just really try not to sweat. I will. <laughs> and try not to breathe, Alex. <laughs> I mean, it's not going to be that bad, but it's just... Moving your arms up and down like a duck, that'll do it. Get Stop moving. Sorry. Stop moving. Sorry. So... Beetlejuice versus the Frighteners. Chris's choices this week. It's yeah. time to find out why. Um, I feel like there's an argument to be said that we've done uh, four shit films in a row. And I thought we should try and do something of maybe higher quality. I don't know. It's beauties in the eye of the beholder. It's all subjective. Mm. But Beetlejuice is obviously a beloved classic. The Frighteners oh. is maybe a little underseen, but something I grew up loving. And yep. so we thought, I mean, we spent a long time trying to figure out what to do Beetlejuice with. I know. And I was, even until I watched this pairing back to back, I was still like, oh, we may have, we may have screwed yeah, up. Yeah, I, I, I keep pushing Casper, but I'm the only one pushing Casper. But then uh, when you watch them back to back, it works. works. Oh, look at that. Serendipity. It does work. So the clue you gave on last week's show, Christopher, was one that you suggested about it being spirited. It was a spirited pairing and Mm. you followed it up on Twitter with... I so nearly went with scared sheetless. Mm. But (laughs) but, uh, it's a wonderful afterlife. That works. That works. So our guesses arrived from you guys. They manifested out of thin air on Twitter at ClashPod. We're also on Instagram at ClashPod. And as I was reminded by our lovely producer Blondine this morning, we are also on TikTok. We're all over are TikTok. We? <laughs> we are all over TikTok. All over TikTok. Brilliant. Like Do we bunch. become rich now? Yes. Great. Yes. And you'll be able to afford some better <laughs> deodorants. Yes. So we got correct answers this week from the lovely Gemma Page, longtime listener. She was also asking when our next live show is. We will let you know. <laughs> Come to your house. Sure. Yeah, she's got sure. a garden, hasn't she? Probably. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. She doesn't live in London, so I'm just assuming she does. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it works. Yeah. Uh, and also, Marion Baudet, uh, who came to our last live show. A lot of live show listeners uh, guessing this week. But the first correct answer, congratulations, Mr. Paul Logue. Your prize this week is to shake, 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 Sonora, shake it all the time. Work, 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 Sonora. Work your body line. Feel free to interpret that as you wish. Right then, connection section. I'll start. Uh, both movies feature design-based disappointment slash disagreements. What? Okay. What? Okay, well, the Dietzers and the Maitlands in Beetlejuice, it's about interior design. They don't like yep. each other's designs. Yep. And Frank Bannister's wife does not like the basketball courts. <laughs> she wanted a garden. It works. Unfinished houses. Good. Uh, Simpler, cleaner. I, I mean, I feel big Different. I, I've, Different. I've got Danny Elfman, which is a real answer. It is, yeah. Yes. Okay. Did the score for both and I think uh, lent heavily on his Beetlejuice work for the Frighteners. <laughs> uh, inappropriate relationships with teenage girls. True that. Uh, one person can see ghosts. Yes. Yeah, living who can see the dead and ghosts being killed. Didn't they kill a ghost? Yeah, These dead, films, dead. These yeah. films claim you can. Yeah, uh, using ghosts to scare people for whatever reason you choose got a specific one mm. uh, jaws falling off 
Good, yeah, yes. the judge's jaw falls off, yep. Yeah, and Alec Baldwin's our jaw falls off at the end of the sort movie. Sort of, his teeth come out. It's slightly different, but I'm not, I'll give you a pass, I open badly, so don't, don't look at me like that, he's stressed. I was, he's stressed. You've got it, it's good. I'm going to kill you. Uh, timeless, this is, a, this is, this might, this might raise the hackles on your back, Chris. Uh, Just don't say it then. All right, great. It's Go really good. Go on. Yeah, can I? Yeah, you can for me. Thanks, yeah. thanks. Uh, timeless settings, films set in the modern era, but both of which could arguably be sometime around the mid 20th century. Yeah. Are you saying that New Zealand looks like it's in the <laughs> 1950s? Actively. I am yes. actively saying that. I think that works. You, in fact, you even last week off air, you did say mm. that as a, as a connection between them. And it's not correct, but it is. I mean, this was, the Frighteners was filmed in Wellington, uh, but actually it's Christchurch. Christchurch, I think, actively prides itself on looking like a 50s throwback town. Mm. Any more? No. No. Great. So... On Thursday, Vicky is counting her victims in the Frighteners, which means today it's time for Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. Eee! Beetlejuice! Let me take you on a journey. Meet the Maitlands. They are in L-O-V-E. We know this because they buy each other the perfect gifts. A thrill to be spending their vacation at home with just each other and do that thing where one of them tries to stand up and the other person pulls them back down onto the sofa. Only they find it amusing as opposed to intensely annoying. So... When they die and are forced to spend 125 years haunting their old house with just each other for company, it really doesn't sound that bad. That is, until the Dietz family show up, who have differing ideas about interior design to the Maitlands. These differing interior design ideas lead to conflict. Can two families with differing interior design ideas ever coexist? How far will people go to ensure their differing design ideas are followed? Eventually you realise that this much-loved classic and birthplace of the Tim Burton sensibilities is in fact just a very good episode of Changing Rooms. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, for your consideration, Beetlejuice. So, histories with this movie. Let me start with you, Victoria. I have seen it only once before. How long ago? Uh, in a student house, so I was about 1920. Okay. So it was just one, you know, lazy, hungover, Sunday afternoon. Everyone else loved it. Everyone else had seen it a million times. They couldn't believe I hadn't seen it. So they popped that on for me. So my expectations were very high. And not met by the sounds of <laughs> no. this. No. <laughs> I thought it was, I got it. Like, it was nice to see where that aesthetic kind of started but didn't. Uh, but all I remembered, for, I was just like, okay. And then, um, but you've, the trouble is for this week, for me, I am such a huge Ghostbusters fan. So right. when something, in my, these are my words, when something walks into that space, oh. <laughs> it, it better, like, you know, come prepared kind of thing. And it's it's not Ghostbusters, which is a silly thing to say as a criticism, but it's not. So, but I was looking forward to seeing it again because maybe I just wasn't in the mood. Maybe I was just far too hungover. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, at what level? Yeah. What level? Because it's quite a frenetic movie, especially towards yeah. the end. Was I hungry, for instance, and couldn't concentrate? Ed, you had spiced rum the night before. <laughs> Oh, that's a killer. It's the sugar in it. Chris. I remember seeing pictures from this one in film magazines and being quite frightened. Mm. Really? And I ha I'd saw Pee-Wee's Big Adventure. Yeah. Did no like it. What? Nope. 
don't get peewee. Um, and then a friend of my dad's recorded this off of Sky because I wanted to see the new film from the Batman guy. Mm-hmm. So I must have been about 10 or 11 when I watched it. Vicky says she got it. I would say I didn't get it. Okay. If I'm honest. But I have revisited it since and it's... A, it's, it's kids do like this film a lot. Mm. I just didn't get it. So you'd seen Batman already by the time you saw this? Probably around exactly the same okay. time, I reckon. Yeah, I think that's the same for mm. me. I'll, I'll tell you mine. I've seen this movie about 167 <laughs> times and it keeps getting funnier every time I see it. <laughs> that's really good. <laughs> oh, it's annoying when you're good. <laughs> Uh, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> I didn't know you loved this so much. I watched it as a kid and this is the movie that made me fall in love with Tim Burton. Okay. I remember, I think, I can't say like Chris, I don't know whether I saw Batman first or this first, but yeah. I remember seeing this and this is this is all the Burton sensibilities that just made me fall in love with him. And this is this is a big movie for me. I really, I really loved this movie as a kid. It was just like, it's sort of, as a kid, I just loved really weird shit and this movie was just so bonkers Alex is this why you rather childishly wear black all the time (laughs) no we established that's because you think you look like old Johnny Depp it's a, it's a combination of that and indeed yes, uh, but and also what's his face? Edward Furlong's. It's in the because mix when somewhere. people go, people also people always go. Um, you put oh, on weight. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, screw you. Uh, although there, there was a, there was a chance uh, in my wedding suit on Saturday. Thanks for coming, guys. Uh, that uh, that I I was going to I was going to pop the catch off those. Trousers. You were making me laugh. You were stood with Mark, and I was like, I love this suit, but I want it to be too slim fitting. You were like careful what you wish for. I can't button this jacket up, and I was like, bullshit. You're like rake thin, and you. Like, no, look, I really can't. Mm. And you couldn't. I can't. You looked great, though. It's, it, it, I'm deceptively thin because but it just all goes on my on my gut. Yeah, uh, there's like my arms, my legs. I look stupid naked because <laughs> like, all these spindly bits coming off a of gut. Like an upside down frog. Mm. <laughs> but no, I also get to go when, when people go, oh, you're in black. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Black on the outside because I'm black on the inside. Great. Mm. Tinder profile. Johnny Cash. <laughs> Did you go through a wearing black stage? I mean, I did. I think we all did. I actually didn't. Okay. Yeah, it was, I just went straight from being a total not knowing my place geek to being an indie kid. Nothing in between. Mm. That was it. I When I used to have my big, big, big crazy hair with the hair powder and the back combing, I looked, uh, you know, people went, oh, Tim Burton. I was like, yeah. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. <laughs> A weird, weird uh, sidebar on this, uh, only because he said it to me once and I was as surprised as you're going to be. Tim Burton went, I really like Rude Tube. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I've got a similarly weird sidebar. (laughs) Really? Um, I was talking to his partner of the time and it was around Christmas time. And I said, when you're at home, what do you and Tim watch on telly? And she said, oh, he's not going to like me for telling you this, but he loves I'm a Celebrity, get me out of here. (laughs) And this is the year we were in. I said, oh, who's his favourite? Because it was on at the time. He said, she said he really wants Carol Thatcher to win. (laughs) Wow. I was like, do not. I'm not going to print that. Don't tell Tim Burton fans he's a big Carol Thatcher person. Yeah, he's a Tory. (laughs) So he's sitting at home watching Carol Carol Thatcher and Root Tube. <laughs> it's all a lie. <laughs> He's probably wearing pink. <laughs> right, let me tell you a little bit about the history of this movie. So Tim Burton was having a, a fairly interesting uh, decade in the 80s so far. He'd uh, already been fired by Disney, in their words, for using their money to make things which were decidedly not kiddie-friendly, which was his original Frankenweenie. Uh, he then uh, got picked personally by Paul Rubens uh, to make a movie Chris doesn't like, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Have you seen it? Are you a fan? I feel like I've seen it, but I don't remember anything about it. It's great. There's some real like Burton moments in it. The <laughs> Large stop Marge. Motion. Large Marge. There's the stop motion dinosaur as well. Yeah, that sounds very familiar. I don't know. It's great. It's great fun. I hate it. 
I really loved it. I really loved it, which is how it led into me realising that, like, there are scenes in that which sort of are just very, very Burton-y looking, even though they didn't have all the gothic uh, accoutrements mm. on them at that point. So after Pee-wee's Big Adventure is a big success on its budget, uh, he starts developing his dream project with Sam Ham, which is the Batman movie. And Warner Brothers is like, yeah, here's a lot of money to develop a script. But Warner's are not interested in making that movie. So he's looking for a new project at this point, and he can't find anything for a while. And then David Geffen puts a script in front of him entitled Beetlejuice by a writer named Michael McDowell. So Michael McDowell had done a little bit of TV at this point, and Alfred Hitchcock presents an Amazing Stories episode. But this was his first feature. He was known more as a horror novelist, a very prolific horror novelist. And he would go on uh, to work on The Nightmare Before Christmas. He'd also write a movie that we've talked about doing, Thinner. More you than me. Really? I thought it was you. I wanted to drive me to hell and that's all we can think of to well, pair it with. That is true. Okay, that is a good pairing though. And you love a novelisation, don't you, Chris? Chris, if you don't know, he loves a novelisation. Collect them. Mm. So <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not too shy. <laughs> I collect them I've got 12 or 13, actually. <laughs> I do enjoy a novelisation. <laughs> Half a bookshelf. Nice glass of brandy, an Alan Partridge <laughs> podcast on the stereo and a novelisation in my hand. Never happier. Never happier. Uh, he wrote uh, the novelisation to one of the best movies we've ever done on this pod. Oh, gosh, there's so many to choose from. <laughs> Not the relic, no. <laughs> he wrote the novelisation to Clue. Oh, uh, OK. Mm. So the script he wrote uh, is a lot darker than the film we eventually get. Uh, by all accounts, he had a very dark sense of humour. He passed away uh, young at the age of 49, but his philosophy in life was... The universe is a joke and we are the butt of that joke. And that's according to his partner, who I read a long interview with, who talks about the genesis of where the script for Beetlejuice came from. So it was in the wake of a movie you mentioned already, Ghostbusters, mm. unsurprisingly. Yeah. Ghostbusters had come out, the pol poltergeist had come out, and he wanted to write his own supernatural script. So Lawrence Senelik, his professor, his award-winning professor partner, right? Uh, he said they lived with some neighbours that they didn't like, and the neighbours were really rowdy, and they suddenly thought, why don't we flip-reverse it? So in, it's the living who are annoying, and the ghosts are the good people trying to get rid of them. And that is where Beetlejuice came from. So, the darkness in his scripts, for example, the car crash at the start, a lot more graphic. Mm -hmm. A pylon goes through the window of the car, pinning Barbara to the chair. It sinks slowly into the water. You can hear them screaming until their lungs fill with water mm. and then silence and the bubbles stop. Uh, we also have a Beetlejuice himself who is not the perverted prankster of this version. He is much more murderous. He wants to kill the Dietzers and he also tries a little more, uh, shall we say, enthusiastically, to have sex with Lydia. Cool. Uh, but there's a younger daughter in this script, Kathy, and she is the one who can see the Maitlands. So reading the script, because you can find it online, it sounds a lot more like the more recent versions of Stephen King's It!, so in it, Pennywise okay. like manifests as Charles's worst fear, which is an IRS man. Uh, it's a, a, a laundry woman, an old laundry woman, terrorises Delia by throwing out all her brilliant outfits. 
Lydia, he presents himself as a death metaler and then tries to have sex with her. And uh, for Kathy, the youngest, obviously this doesn't translate into this script, she is mutilated by a rabid squirrel. Oh, mm. okay. Yeah. I was with it until that point. <laughs> yeah, it sounds really good. Yeah. It's, it, it is good. It's not bad at all. And a lot of the ideas that make it through to the final one are in this. You can find it if you want to read it on dailyscript.com. That's where I read it. Sounds like it has more of a plot. Thank you. It yes. certainly <laughs> does, because what mm. happens is these sort of manifestations of Beetlejuice. I mean, another thing is it wasn't until the next version of the scripture I'll get onto it that the, the rules of Beetlejuice for establish, uh, were established. So in this, the Maitlands dig him up and then he's out and you can't put uh, the genie back in the box, as it were. Yeah. So he, his tormenting of the Dietzers begins quite early. So they each have a scene with the manifestation of Beetlejuice without realising he's a demon. Yes. And then... As it goes on and on, these manifestations start to enact their evil plots on each of the family individually, which is good. Yeah. It's a good script. Uh, I will say uh, the description of uh, Beetlejuice in Michael McDowell's script is, he's a small and wiry, dark man with vaguely Middle Eastern features. Mm. Here and uh, whenever we see him again at the beginning of a scene, his eyes are cold and yellow and shaped like a snake's. But after a moment, they become human and liquid and brown. This is definitely not a spirit to be trusted. So the other big point is he is a it gets very golden child because he is a winged demon uh, that is disguised as a human, disguised as these other humans. And at the end, they blow up the demon. Mm -hmm. So that's the big difference. So anyway. The final uh, difference is at the end, the uh, Maitlands... Oh, I'll do the end at the end. So in the end, uh, Burton gets rid of McDowell and brings in uh, Warren Scarran. Uh, oh, Warren Scarran. Yeah. Talk he, about him a lot. He's uh, We were talking about him on the Top Gun episode. He'd just mm. come off the back of a brilliant rewrite on the Top Gun script. He shared an agent with Burton, which probably helped. And so he joins the project and he is, gets on like a house on fire with Burton. So Burton wanted him to basically lighten up this script and so he combined as I'm sure you're a fan of he collapsed rather the deep <laughs> yeah, children very good so it all becomes Lydia the kind of uh, the gothic younger teenage daughter he added some jokes added more humanity to the characters and he cheered up the ending which in McDowell's script uh, had uh, Lydia perishing in a fire and living as Just, a ghost yeah. with the Maitlands. <laughs> uh, so we changed that. Uh, but most importantly, as I said, Scarron clarified Beetlejuice's powers and moulded him into, an, as he says, an endearingly maniacal trickster rather than a flat-out murderer. Yeah. So Scarron's script is pretty much, if you read it online, it's like what we finally get uh, with a few big changes, though. One is the ending, which we'll talk about at the end of this show. Uh, the other is him putting musical cues throughout for the film, which we'll talk about as well. Uh, so a little bit about casting. <laughs> this is... You know when you sort of go... We, and we've done it a lot on the show. Like, the filmmakers should be given autonomy and should be like, allowed what to do with, by the studio. Uh, and by all accounts, David Geffen lost his shit with Tim Burton. David Geffen loved Tim Burton. He said the minute he walked into the office, he was wearing this ripped black jumper. He like had his hair all sort of too still mad. He looked a lot like Alex Zane. And, <laughs> uh, and he, he, he loved him uh, until... <laughs> Until uh, Tim Burton went, so for Beetlejuice, I really, really want Sammy Davis Jr. Yeah. Why wouldn't you want Sammy Davis Jr.? I mean, yeah. One of the most talented men that have ever lived. Yeah. I just think, I don't know. Maybe it's because I love Keaton in this and it's always that thing of sort of reversioning history, but 
No, I'll, I'll, I mean, I will take Keaton over Sammy in this role. Okay. I'll give you that. But you, you'd, you'd have a nice soft shoe shuffle if Sammy was in it. <laughs> uh, Keaton's not interested, though, uh, until Burton goes out to see him and explains the plot to him. Uh, even though Keaton at this point is, had really just done Mr. Mom of any note, but he's convinced in the end. Uh, Delia Dietz was meant to be Angelica Houston. She was actually cast in the role, but drops out due to uh, illness. Um, so uh, Catherine O'Hara... Burton begs her to be in it. Lydia, Sarah Jessica Parker, Brooke Shields, Jennifer Connolly and Molly Ringwald all turned it down. Juliette Lewis apparently auditioned for the part. But in the end, uh, after Burton saw her debut in 1986's Lucas, Winona Ryder gets the role. Um, It sounds like a lot of people needed convincing when they first read the script. Alec Baldwin even says as they were shooting, he thought it was going to kill his career. This film. I'm not surprised. Hmm? When I finished watching it, you think, what was that? What did I just yeah, see? And I, so I think you've said that you, Alex, have said that the rules were made clearer, but I just don't think it's true. I think of the, these two movies, especially, the rules in Beetlejuice are a lot clearer. That's true. Okay. Between the two of them, yeah. But just, you know. But And I, I agree. There are certain bits, and we'll go through them. For example, let's do one now when Barbara somehow knows how to go home, home, home mm. to get back out of the And model. never uses it again, though. Never uses it again. And it's just, again, it's one of those movies that you can start picking at this. And sure... You'll uh, you'll unravel the thread very very quickly, but it doesn't matter. I'd, I'd be reading the script and saying, uh, "Sorry, how how do we spell his name?" <laughs> yeah, because it says it here, and then here we're going to change. We're going to figure that out. No, 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 two different spellings. <laughs> well, there's a theory I read online. People people uh, have come up with a theory for why his name spelled different, and not just because he's named after the star, yeah, but because. He doesn't want just anyone to be able to summon him for bioexorcism, okay. so he spells his name wrong, so not everyone's going, oh, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Yeah. Just don't say it! <laughs> You've got to put a Candyman in there. Have you, um, oh my God, have you seen the uh, the community gag? You know the sitcom community? We were talking mm-hmm. about this the other week. Mm-hmm. On season one, they had one character mention Beetlejuice. Right. On season two, they had another character mention Beetlejuice. Amazing. And on season three, another character says Beetlejuice, and in the back of shot, a guy dressed as Beetlejuice That's walks so by. That's the that. long game. Yeah, I like that. That's so good. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, it sounds like Baldwin were, was a little bit nervous because of the way Tim Burton was on set. I found an interview with Baldwin where he was saying that he would sit at his desk and draw characters and never look up at me. <laughs> I went over to him and suggested that I make Adam Maitland more posh. Tim was looking down at a piece of paper and this is the only direction Tim gave me the whole of the entire movie. He looked up for the very first time and said, no, don't do that. And then he went back to his paper and drew. There's no such thing as a posh American. Everybody knows that. He was going, I think he said he wanted to be like uh, the actor Robert Cummings was his inspiration, but it didn't happen because Burton (laughs) gave him a piece of direction. And finally, you mentioned this at the start, Chris. Uh, Warners did not like the name Beetlejuice and they wanted to call it uh, House Ghosts. (laughs) Say what you see. Well, this is true, isn't it? We want people in the Midwest to not be confused. What can we call it? House ghosts. <laughs> and wasn't no, wasn't genuinely scared sheetless uh, a, tit- a working title for it at one point. Timber made up scared sheetless as a joke. He was mm. like, "Fine, you want a house ghost? Well, why don't we do scared sheetless?" Yeah. And Warner's went, 
That's good, Tim. Great. And he got really nervous that they were going to go with that. But in the end, they gave him Beetlejuice. So Should have gone with a kid's show from the 80s. They should have nicked that name with Mr. Claypole. Rent-A-Ghost. Yes, please. Very good. Oh, yeah. It's a great name. Yeah. Oh, ghost I love that. This pop-off. <laughs> That's an old thing we remember. <laughs> Let's save it for the pub. <laughs> no one else cares. Remember Rent-A-Ghost? <laughs> remember Fuzzy Felt? <laughs> remember that? Remember Rent-A-Ghost? All right, let's do this. Let's go through this movie. Uh, so we start panning over a small town and Danny Elfman's brilliant score begins. Mm. Is, are they separable? Can you Do you ever think of a Burton no. movie without an Elfman score and vice versa? No. no. And this is one of the great ones, isn't it? Oh, yeah. so good. And you've got these visuals and you've got that music and mm. you've got this title. It builds up. Mm, the font. Mm. The font. It builds, up, it builds up a lot of anticipation, particularly for a character that's hardly in the film and doesn't show up for ages. Yeah. Yeah. It really does. And I love the fact that we're panning over the real town. Uh, it's a town in Vermont, uh, even though the film's set in Connecticut. It's panning over the real town. And then, obviously, because I was looking for it this time, although I did have to rewind it <laughs> to double check where the cut is between the yeah. town and the model. It's great. Mm. And then the spider coming over the top of the Maitland's home. Um, I will say it's amazingly lean, the storytelling, as we're introduced to the Maitlands, we don't find out really who they are, what they do for a living. Mm. All we're told is that they are just head over heels in love with each other. Yeah. And they don't need anyone else's company, which is so great because then mm. when they die, you it snaps off that whole branch of are they missed by family? Are they missing family? Yeah. Are they missing their friends? Because this movie isn't about like, oh, it's awful to be dead. Yes. Because they're happy to be dead and with each other. It's about an external thing coming into that environment. But it does establish that they there's a little bit of sadness around them not yeah. having kids, which is important. It's it's very economically done that. It reminded yeah. me of Up, actually. Yeah. yeah. Just, just a throwaway thing that you're like, oh... It's a dagger to your heart when yeah. you hear it. Yeah, it's there and, and it's and it's and it's the, probably the main theme of the film, really. Yeah, and it's you're absolutely right. It's what amazing. do they want? They want a child. What do they get at the end? A daughter. Yeah, <laughs> and it doesn't. But it doesn't. Between that line yeah. where he says in the car, maybe we'll try again yeah. over vacation, yeah. until the bit where I think in the, the final act, Barbara says, I love Lydia. You mm. just join those two dots without it ever coming back into mm. the film. Yeah, it's true. So they head into town. Uh, he kills her. Um, what, he asks her to come with him. He does not need her to come and pick up that part. But they're inseparable. They <laughs> I know, but you should have just done it on your own, mate. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. the dog kills her. I'm sorry, the it's, dog kills her. And, and, and it wags its tail after it's done it. <laughs> yeah, it leers over down into the river and say, yeah, uh -huh. fucking got you. But that's eight minutes in. Yeah. All that's happened and they're gone. You know, I think it's really cool as well, the fact that they are clearly out of towners who've bought this house. Right. And the Dietzes are out of towners, but the film does a little bit of work here. When they go into town, they are loved by the locals, so you immediately know they're good people yeah. who've become part of this community. He's, he's wearing a plaid shirt. Mm, yes. Is that plaid? A check shirt. Yeah. Um, that's all he needed to do. Yep. So, yeah, we get the crash. They're dead. They get home. Like Chris said, it's so quick. It's eight minutes, five minutes without credits. It's incredible. So five Sorry. minutes in, they're dead. And by ten minutes in, they know they're dead. Like the, so many other films would have like like dragged this bit out where it's like yeah you're you know, right yeah are we, are we dead? why can't we be seen yeah and, what's going on yeah. having a bit of fun with that Jane maybe knocks on the door and they she can't like there's yeah. so many things but it's like immediately he's like well there's the handbook for the newly deceased yeah under ten minutes and eleven minutes oh. 
we get Beetlejuice, a little soupçon of the ghost with the most. Uh, we're not going to see him properly until 25 minutes in, and even then he's only on TV. Uh, but here he's looking at a paper called The Afterlife. He sees a picture of the Maitlands, and we know he's a bad guy because he goes, they look nice and stupid. Yeah. Also, uh, the sandworms. Oh. Yes. Be- be- better or worse than the effects in June? <laughs> A new one. Better or worse sandworms? <laughs> I honestly, if you really ask me, I think, I think better. I think uh, we'll do it here. I was going to say it in a bit, but so there was a million pounds of a 15 million, a million dollars of a 15 million dollar budget uh, assigned to VFX on this movie. And so that's why Burton decided to go old school, stop motion, in camera effects. Mm-hmm. And I watched this and because it feels like an aesthetic choice yes. rather than a budgetary reason, mm-hmm. It makes the film timeless. It fits with the look of the rest of the film. And so I, I think this of the two movies we're doing this week, to me, The Frighteners has aged a lot more than this movie. Some aspects of it, I think. Some of the CG looks good, some looks bad. Mm. He's embraced computer-generated effects in a way that I don't like, Tim Burton. Mm. And and I've, I couldn't find it, but I remember reading it ages ago, him saying he's slightly embarrassed by some of the effects in here. And it's like, no, this no, is one this of the reasons good. we love yeah. you and we love this is because you're doing this. It gives us a feeling that CG sometimes doesn't, that Alice in Wonderland does not give me. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, Alice in Wonderland, what was there? Miss, Miss Peregrine's house for peculiar children. Um, I watched Charlie that recently. Factory, that's... Yeah, I just think he, you know... I mean, maybe it's not fair. Maybe it's us going, well, that's what we know you from as kids, so yeah. you should stick to that, Tim. And, and people use CG for budgetary reasons. It's cheaper than maybe creating all these things practically, but I don't know. You're right. It might be a nostalgia thing, but to me, it just looks better. And as you said, it's, it doesn't date in a way. It's dated then. Mm. You know, when you watch it in 88, it's already dated. Which makes so. it intentional, yeah. I mean, I remember watching Alice Through the Looking Glass and there's a scene in there which is just a, a, a genius idea where Sasha Baron Cohen's character Time lives in this castle and the drawbridges are hands of a clock that are constantly moving around. And you're mm-hmm. like, oh, this is really interesting. But because that's CGI, everything before it has been CGI, by that point in the movie, about half an hour in, you're just completely numb to it. It's like, you can do anything, so yes. nothing is special. Oh, Here's a question. Would Edward Scissorhands now have computer-generated scissors? Probably. Oh. Do it, yeah. No, I don't think so, but there would be a scene where they grew exponentially and that would be CG, but mm. I think they'd keep it real. Shall we meet the Dietzers? Yeah. Okay, so we've got Charles and Delia Dietz played by Jeffrey Jones and Catherine O'Hara. Both of them are brilliant. Uh, he's moved here because his nerves have gone, although we don't find that out yet. We just learned that he wants this and she hates the fact they left New York. Can we talk about just what is one of the most genius things? And I think it's the actors possibly, certainly the script partially, but the actors that make this work so well. So, Otho has come with her. Yeah. He's an interior designer played by the brilliant Glenn Shaddix. The relationship between Delia and Otho, or it is Otho, Otho, Mm -hmm. Otho, um, I just find so fascinating in a way that the actors play this dynamic because there are so many layers there. She idolises Otho and desperately wants to be liked by him and please him, even though he is her employee mm-hmm. and she's the boss and he knows how to play up to that. So he's quite dismissive of her and makes her try harder to be liked. And it's such a fascinating dynamic those two have. Yes. 
It yeah. feels like it's a very specific take on whatever was happening in the New York art scene in the 1980s, mm. some of which we can get and some of which I'm sure is just so specific that you would only know if you were there and then. But I think it tells you all you need to know. It It appears that their interior designer lives with them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that tells me all I need to know about these people. I think it gets a... I think there's a lot of things, and I agree with you, Alex, it, it actually doesn't matter, but because I've only seen it twice, you're just a bit more attuned to where it doesn't quite make sense. So... Mm. Later on, Arthur will say something about he's also a supernatural expert or he quite likes supernatural. And Delia dismisses it because she said, I don't want to talk about ghosts. And that didn't make sense to me. Like she, she adores him and she wants his approval. So she would, in that scene, I was like, you will go with what he thinks. Yeah, I just figured that in that scene, she felt that his arch behaviour was undermining her in front of her agent, right. uh, Dick Cavett, yeah. uh, who was in that scene. And also her power over her daughter like and wanting to make sure her daughter is kept in line by her means that she wasn't going to go with Otho in that circumstance. Okay. But I do know what you mean. I just like this moment where he goes, you read my mind. She goes, did I? Yeah. (laughs) I I love her in in absolutely everything. And she always makes me happy when I see her. And I think some of, I think some of the jokes aren't amazing, but, the lines that everything she does is fantastic when she walks into the bathroom and she says it's an indoor outhouse that is so arch and so funny yeah I really like it she met her husband on this film did she? yeah Bo Welch the production designer yeah that's a nice fact Tim Burton encouraged her to, him rather to go and talk to her because he was like no 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 you're not meant to She's talk quite, yeah. you're not meant to talk to <laughs> actors we're crew they're the actors and Tim was like oh, go and ask her out come on I'm, I'm going to marry you right now got married <laughs> I bloody got married so uh, 20 minutes in, just in case we've got any doubt about what this crazy movie is going to be about, Delia says, when the attic door slams shut, behind that door are the ghosts of the people who died in this house <laughs> and they want us out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Very clear. <laughs> Very clear. So uh, we get a little bit of family dynamics of the Dietzers. Charles and Lydia like the house. Uh, Delia is going to get her way, though, and she is going to change it. Uh, there's Delia at the table saying, I can't believe that we're eating Cantonese. Is there no Szechuan up here? A line that was cut from the script, which I think is quite good, was from Charles. There's only one Chinese restaurant in town, darling. The owners are Irish and Irish people happen to know, happen to cook Cantonese. They don't know better. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like, I've laughed my head off. I've written that line down as well because... I always have this thing, like which is just ego, that you think things from when you were a child can't be as funny as things are now because you've grown up and you've got a better sense of humour. Mm. And she made me feel little because mm. I've only recently discovered Szechuan food. I like Cantonese food. I love Szechuan food. Uh, but it's a, a recent thing. Do you not Chris, know what I'm talking about? No, I mean, I... I, 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 oh, she, so you don't. So she could make you feel bad as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm genuinely in the in the in the pool of people who in this in this room right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I didn't know there was. I don't know what the difference is. I knew that. I guess there's a difference. But yeah, I get a Chinese takeaway. It's a can. That's a Cantonese takeaway. Okay. Usually, what do you have? Uh, I mean, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into it later. There's a. It's a whole Whoa. different cuisine. So when we lived together, yeah. uh, Although you weren't paying rent, you just lived in Marks Um <laughs> Oh my god! Do we need to have a talk? That's the first time you've ever said that in front of you. Oh my god! Regardless, that's that's not the crux of the conversation. I gave him some money. Did he not give it to you? Oh, I'm sorry. What? I gave him money. Wow. But not a lot. It was a fourth person living in a very small three-bedroom flat. 
Okay. What? So did I not give you enough money? <laughs> no. like, what is it? Okay. Uh, we it... need to have a look at the podcast wages, Alex. This can be sorted out. Uh, but so the uh, remember the, yeah, the, yeah. the 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 crazy uh, sweet and sour chicken yeah. balls that came in a kind of batter as yeah. like they were thick. Mm. So yeah. what chicken was ball. that? That's, chicken, but that's Cantonese. They, yeah, they were actually called chicken balls on the menu, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sweet and sour chicken balls. Okay. Cantonese. Szechuan food is characterized by. Do you know what Szechuan pepper is? It's like a peppercorn that makes you. It's numbing. It makes your mouth go numb. Okay. Okay. And dishes like pickled cucumber and pickled aubergine and numbing sauce and braised pork belly. Oh, Delicious. God. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> three. I think I think he's hungry. Top top exact top number of exact three. <laughs> Cut it off at three. You can say three. <laughs> Start with numbing sauce as well. R- rule of three. Sorry. So there's a really great line here where Charles says to Lydia, We'll build you a dark room. My whole life is a dark room. One big dark room. Room. Thoughts on Winona Ryder in this? Mm, sometimes I think she's brilliant. Sometimes I find her quite annoying. Um, it's almost too theatrical. And so I don't like the character. And I think, oh, actually, no, she's actually in mourning for the death of her mum. That's why this is happening. That's why she's wearing black. And so she's got every right to be like this. But I do think it's funny that she kind of became a role model mm. for young people who became goths. And yet Tim Burton is really poking fun at her character later yeah. in the film where she's reading poetry by listening to opera. And it's just, it's so over the top. But I think it's funny that people sort of model themselves after her when he's taking the piss. Yeah. It's amazing that, I mean, I think the the, the line for me where I was like, I'm totally sold on you because that line shouldn't work and it should make me hate the character because if I heard it in real life, I'd be like, I hate you, is where she goes, I myself am strange and unusual. Yeah. And she pulls it off. And at that point, I'm sold on Lydia. Yeah. Lydia can see the Maitlands. After this break, we'll get into Beetlejuice. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So 25 minutes in, Beetlejuice appears in full for the first time in one of the 17 and a half minutes of actual film he appears in (laughs) of a 92-minute film. Uh... According to Michael Keaton, the Beetlejuice character was described to him by Tim Burton as having lived in every time period, but no time period. Helpful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he is an actor's director. <laughs> so Burton encouraged, uh, was encouraged, um, encouraged uh, Keaton to improvise uh, in this film. And holy shit, if you read the script, so much of what Burton says is improvised. And indeed... Everything brilliant that Burton said, um, that Beetlejuice says, sorry, is all Keaton. Uh, he called it rave acting. <laughs> he says, you'd rage for 12 to 14 hours, then you'd go home tired and beat and exhausted. It was pretty damned cathartic. I thought you, I thought you said rave. So did I. Rave, yeah. yeah. No, he did. Oh, I thought you said oh, rage. I'm yeah. getting very confused now. Well, he used both words in the same sentence. Right. I mean, don't come to me, come at Keaton. There's yeah. a lot sure. going on there. Yeah. Um, it's a performance so lacking in vanity is what I like yeah, about that's it. Like true. he really makes himself disgusting from the moment one. I believe him hocking up a spit in his pocket that was yeah. improvised. It's like yeah. who puts that on screen? Yeah. Like that's the thing. You always think you know he's a movie. Well, he wasn't a big star then, was he? But he became a big star really quickly. And you don't want to make yourself look unattractive. That's your whole stock in trade, and he does, and that is very impressive. Yeah, but he is buried under. He is playing an abhorrent character, so I think I get what you're saying. It's it's vanity free, but at the same time, it's not like he's. I guess I guess the kind of character that would threaten an actor in terms of like oh, I don't know what if if he was playing a, like a. a a real life sexual predator yes. in a movie. That's sort of that's what I'd call a vanity free performance because then there is no way. There's certainly not the next movie is like a, a big rom com or something. Yeah. Whereas this is so over the top and he's buried you, under and so it's, much it's, makeup. It's you. It's a skill as well, is it? Because it's like you, when they go when actors go all out, you're not going to win an Oscar for Beetlejuice in a million years. So if you're not perfect, you just look so stupid because you have to be really funny. Because mm. if you shoot and you miss, oh, it's awful. But also that's the reason the Oscars are stupid because yes. you couldn't win an Oscar for this yeah. when maybe you should. Yes, yeah. agreed. 100%. 100%. Um, has anyone seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2? Yes. No. So I, I hadn't seen it, but mm-hmm. I looked it up after yeah, I read like this. It's like a spoof. It's like a spoof. It's... So Keaton says, I think he said on record, you know, part of Beetlejuice's personality is based on Chop Top, Bill yeah. Mosley's character in that movie. It. I can see it. It's tonally very different to the first one. Even though it's Toby Hooper, Toby Hooper decided I'm going to tear this thing down that I've made mm. by, by, by doing a humorous but no less violent version. And that's in, that's really interesting. Yeah, I can see it. I watched, if you, if you look it up on uh, YouTube, Chop Top from Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, it's astonishing how similar he is to Beetlejuice. <laughs> so... We first meet him in a pastiche of some very famous 80s uh, and 90s US adverts. Uh, I think they ran earlier as well, 70s as well. It's a guy called Cal Worthington. They're, you should look them up. You sort of, I don't know, maybe it's because it's sort of like you think advertising has evolved so much now that it's only been clever in the last sort of 20 years. And back then it was very much, this is a great product. You should buy it. Mm-hmm. 
these adverts, he's a car salesman and each advert starts with a theme tune. It's Carl Worthington and his dog Spot, except when it cuts to Carl, Carl Worthington, it's never a dog. It's a, <laughs> <laughs> and when it's a chimp, when it's a sea lion, when it's a hippo. Sorry, that would make me laugh forever. It's just brilliant. <laughs> and everyone, every every new advert, it's like, it's Cal Worthington and his dog Spot cut to him with a killer whale. Like, genuinely, he's standing next to a killer whale. That's the funniest thing. Isn't it brilliant? It's just, you just sort of go, how fucking clever were they back then? That's so good. Uh, yeah, so uh, so he based it on that. And uh, again, you know, the original script from Scarron uh, was things like, hey, the living got you down. Are they jacking you around? Have you broken out in hives because you're tired of their jive? I will drive them from your hive. Whereas what we actually get is, bring the little pods down here. We got plenty of snakes and lizards for them to play with. I'll swallow anything you want me to swallow. Ouch, you want a dog? <laughs> Fucking... Just, I obsess myself if I gotta. <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest. I had to put subtitles on because I'm like, it's so yeah, like, but it's, it's very quick. Uh, but actually, it's all in there. And when you read it, you're like, I'll chew on a dog. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's um, it's great. It's just great. So, shall we get into the afterlife? Yeah. So early on, uh, Otho has said that people who commit suicide end up as civil servants in the afterlife. And this is an idea we actually see in the afterlife. Everyone who works in the afterlife is someone who has committed suicide. The receptionist has cut her wrists. Uh, there's a guy who's clearly thrown himself in front of a truck. There's a guy hanged in the background who's mm -hmm. on conveyor belt. And Juno herself has cut her own throat. So... Beetlejuice, and this is never explored in the film, but they did have a backstory for him where he worked for Juno and was Juno's assistant yeah. because he had committed suicide. He'd hanged himself because he was heartbroken, but because he was drunk, he'd done it really badly and slowly choked to death. So where did this backstory come from? Was this something pre-written? Because obviously there's been a lot of Beetlejuice stuff since then, and is this something that was added afterwards in the mythology? No, this is something that they were planning on including, but then just decided that it was better to leave Beetlejuice as a little more of an unknown. Okay, interesting. As far as I know. Yeah. If you know better, dear Clash Brothers, it was, feel it free to correct reminds me. Reminds me a lot of Brazil, all this stuff. That that It's that, so that, Gilliam! Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The sort the of frustration crazy of bureaucracy. That bureaucracy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh I took the time. I've never I remember as a kid when I first saw this afterlife bit, the first time they go in the waiting room, I think this was one of the high points of the movie, because it was like next level weird. Yeah. And the shark guy, the snorkeler with the shark hanging off his leg. Yeah. The guy in the sleeping bag with a snake's tail sticking out. <laughs> the guy who's clearly burnt to death from a cigarette left burning. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to give up. I'm trying to cut back <laughs> myself. Um, there's a guy who looks a bit like a preacher who's reading some kind, looks like the Bible maybe, and he's all purple. I've never worked out how he died. I've started to believe that it was a kind of Jonestown thing and he poisoned himself and all yeah. his followers. Yeah. Um, what was your reaction to watching this? Well, I don't want to rain on your parade. But you're going to, aren't I you? love the visuals, obviously, and you want to be in it and it's great. But why are the Maitlands the only, in quote, most normal looking people? Because Where are all the people that had a heart attack? Where? Are, why is someone green? Like what the woman behind the reception, yeah. she's not gone green through death. She's green. She's green because she is been dead for, I think she's been dead for 30, 39 years or something. She was Miss Argentina in 1939. Yeah. So whatever the maths are. So rather than have her rotting like yeah. a corpse, I think the green is to signify she's been dead a long okay, time. Okay, because I was like, oh, she's an elf. Like, that's what I was like, what, where are we? Like, why is everyone so special? 
it's good that the Maitlands are super normal people and they're very chintzy and they're, you know, they're cute like that. But I was just like, oh, I just want the rules. I just need to know what's going on. Well, they well, drowned, so that's why they've not got any No, I know physical, that, but yeah. where but are the, the other drowning victims? Yeah, where but the are practical... The... I, 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 the, the reason is Tim Burton has literally said, I understand that they should be soaking wet. Yes. Uh, but I couldn't put... I don't think they I couldn't, should. I couldn't put I the actors they should. through that but, for the entire shoot. No, have I them know. No, their, their lungs should be full of water, but the, the outside of them doesn't have to be soaking wet. Mm. That's not what kills them. The water doesn't kill them. It's the, the water in the lungs in, internally. It's a bit, uh, it's very, I mean, some of what, what they've done here is quite dark. Apparently, uh, the, the the intercom, where it goes, uh, Flight 409 is arriving mm. at Cape 5. That's a, a real, uh, that was at the time the worst aviation disaster in US history. Mm. That was a plane that crashed into a mountain in Wyoming. So nice. it's a real thing. That's cute. There's an amazing Hitchcock film called Sabotage, which I recommend everyone watch. One of his early films. And the star of that is Sylvia Sidney, who plays oh. Juno. Who, she was beautiful back in the day. And she's obviously here. And she's the her last role was Mars Attacks. Mm, what yes. a fantastic way to go out. This mm. was, yeah, she uh, she was begged by Burton to be in this and, and agreed. She's very good. She's so good. Mm. And just because, it, because, again, it's such a curveball for what you imagine that role to be played as. Yeah. Uh, we get the big game hunter, Harry the Haunted Hunter, as his toy was later called. Although here, I think he's just called Shrunken Headman. Mm-hmm. He's great. He'll come back. And we learn. I, know, I, I sort of. I, I'll be honest. I had to sort of go back and, and piece this together. So the Maitlands, because this is where it all got a bit sketchy for me, and I was ready to lay into it in a way that I think you might be ready to lay into it. <laughs> About what the fucking rules are here, like so the Maitlands, they they don't they they don't want the Dietzers to be there, but the Dietzers are there, and I missed this one line, and this is the only time they say it. So Juno says that they have to haunt that house for 125 years. I missed it. I completely which, missed it. And then all of a sudden, everyone's talking about 125 years. Yeah. Like, what? Why is it 125? What? What is this? It annoyed me. Yeah, it's sort of an arbitrary figure that yep. is plucked out of nowhere. And there's a few more arbitrary shit stuff coming up later. But if you do join the dots, it makes sense. So if we assume that the bureaucracy of this afterlife dictates that they, the Maitlands, have been selected as a 125-year haunting of this building, yeah. then that's fine. And then you understand it makes sense for everything after that, the idea that that's why they haven't gone on to whatever the, 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 the spiritual plane is. There's no real heaven or hell in this, but let's say heaven for ease. Like... That's why they're still there. That's why they're trying to scare off the Dietzers. Not because they want their home back because they're selfish or because they're like, get these people out. We want to be here on our own. It's because that is what they have to do. If They they have to stay there and they don't want the Dietzers there. That's the same thing. It's not because if they could move on themselves, they would. Yes. But they have to stay there. They're being forced by the afterlife bureaucracy to stay there. But they could just make their peace with the Dietzers, but they don't. Because the Dietzers have different interior design. Exactly, which is always an Ideas issue. to them, uh, which is uh, like this whole idea when they step out, the Maitlands step out of the house, time changes, which is, a, there's a couple of times this happens. So early on, they both end up on the moon Titan, Saturn's moon Titan, which is where the sandworms are. Mm. Never explain why, but there you go. That's what I love <laughs> about it. It's just Saturn's moon Titan. Uh, so And they come back in the house and then the Maitland and the Dietzers apparently have managed to buy the house the day after and move down from New York, but actually they were off out of the world, the real world for a certain amount of time. Happens again here. So they come back and the house looks fucking spectacular. Do you think so? I love it. I love it because it looks horrible. I love it because I love that kitchen. (laughs) 
Do you? Such a utilitarian kitchen, like the the magnetic <laughs> knife rack, yep. the glass-fronted fridges. It's a really That's practical fun. kitchen. Yeah. I like it because you. I don't like the Maitland's chintzy look, but this this sort of art snob New York look is cold, and you don't feel at home, and so you you side with the Maitlands in your heart because you're like, I don't like your style, but at least it looks cozy and nice and warm. Mm. Whereas if to live with the Deetses, you can never prefer them as the audience because it just looks really clinical. And you and you are right, and you have taken from this film what was intended. It's I I'm I I'm just like I really like it, but really yeah. you're meant to go. They've ruined yes. that beautiful. Rustic but, farmhouse. But also, he's got <laughs> Ben's got a hard on for German expressionism, and through this art and some of these visuals, he's tapping into that, isn't he? Mm. As well as that thing that he does that David Lynch was doing exactly the same time with what this weirdness underneath the surface of what what looks fine to us is that there's something very odd underneath it all. Mm. Yeah. Um, and what's underneath uh, the model is Beetlejuice's grave and he drags a fly to the death with a nice pastiche of uh, the fly. Help me! Help me! <laughs> he tempts it down with a zagnut. Uh, ever eaten a zagnut? No. Don't know if they make them anymore. Uh, <laughs> apparently they were reviewed by a chocolate bar magazine in America as no one would ever purposefully choose a zagnut and the makers of the zagnut. <laughs> it was a peanut butter and toasted coconut uh, chocolate bar uh, we're honestly flummoxed that Zagnuts aren't more popular. Was it, was it not the name? Because we thought it was the name, not the contents. <laughs> he also does, a, around this time, uh, time, he does a wanker sign, which you very rarely see an American do in a film. A Beetlejuice? Yeah. He does the wanker sign. Does he? Yeah, he turns his back and does the wanker sign about about the uh, the Maitlands behind them, behind oh, him. Okay. And it's just something, it's refreshing, because obviously we do that a lot in the UK. Yeah. You see it everywhere you go. <laughs> Well, I do. <laughs> and uh, I didn't, didn't think that Americans ever did it. No. So it's, I, I, loved, I like that. Yeah, this is the bit where we get to meet. So we're, we're uh, about 45 minutes in now and we yep. finally no, get we're to... we're exactly 45 minutes in. So I was like, where is he? And then they go down and it's like, this is your coffin. I was like, for fuck's sake, it's called Beetlejuice. I would like to spend some time with him. But no, we've got to dig him out. It's like, for fuck's sake, it's never going to end. Yeah, I mean, you weren't alone. I think it was Pauline Kael in The New Yorker. She was like, um, Beetlejuice, Michael Keaton is so good. He needs to be in this film more. Yeah. Um, I personally think it would be overkill. I, I agree. I think he's, yeah. he's in it just I agree the right amount of time. I, I was he's so much that yeah. any longer than he is and you'd be like, oh. Fuck. It gets very wearing, mm. but it's just, it's a shit. Maybe front load it. I don't know. Like put or, him in at the start. Or call it House Ghost. Don't have him mm. in the title. Call it House Ghost. Scared sheetless. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> Always funny. Uh, so, yeah, um, in the original script, in both uh, Scarron's and McDowell's script, uh, it's a, a corpse on a fishing pile, uh, pole uh, that leaps out and attacks the Maitlands and then Beetlejuice is holding the fishing pole. Mm, it's much better here because sure. he comes out and he's a force of nature from the minute he gets out of that grave. You pick me. It makes me want to kiss you both. And then just kisses Barbara. Mm. <laughs> I know he's meant to be a rogue. <laughs> but oh, it was nineteen eighty eight. He's a predator, isn't it? It was nineteen eighty eight. He is meant to be a pervert. Like it's written in it's written in the script that he's a pervert. He's he is meant to be the character that we see on screen. We're not meant to go, oh that's acceptable. No, no, and, and what made me sad is that he upskirts her, he lifts her skirt, he does it more than once. And I get that because he's meant to be, you know, a little bit of a pervert and all the rest of it. Mm. But the look on her face is like, oh, I just have to put up with it. And it's like that's the bit of the eighties that made me feel sad. Because 
because she doesn't, no one, obviously this is ridiculous, but she, no one remonstrates with him for it. She's just like, oh, God, get off. But she does not hire him at that point. That She's the one who goes, home, 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 I've had enough of this. She's yeah, the yeah. one who takes but them no out one of says, that moment. Excuse me, guy, can you stop looking I, up my skirts? Adam, Adam steps up and, go and, and stops him doing it, doesn't he? I don't think so. Uh-huh. <laughs> maybe I maybe I'm imprinted on the movie because that's such what a, you would do. Fucking good guy. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, the bit that you're talking about, we get have one swear in the in a PG movie because yeah. believe it or not, this is a PG movie, Mad. isn't no it? Because the PG thirteen was an option back right, then, okay. and the MPAA went. No, this is a PG. Absolutely fine. They just made nuts decisions. <laughs> it's like how. But it's where he goes, nice fucking model, and grabs his cock. I know, I couldn't yeah. believe it. Yeah. It's just such and a... I didn't believe him. I was like, that's the one swear. Yeah. You've got your one swear. And he's like, that's not a true fact. Shall we get on to the big one? The dinner party scene. Thoughts? Yeah. Oh, no. I mean, yeah. It's such, a, it's such a weird choice of song. It seems obvious now. But I just, it was so strange to pick an old Harry Belafonte song for that yeah. scene. And I, it's, it just, it works, doesn't it? Well, initially Burton had, uh, well, let's go back. Warren Scarron had uh, used a lot of music in his scripts, but all of his were blues songs. Mm. And Burton for this scene uh, wanted a song by the doo-wop singers, The Ink Spots. Okay, yeah. But okay. on the day, Catherine O'Hara mm-hmm. convinced him that a Calypso song would bring more energy to the scene and then Jeffrey Jones said, why don't you use Deo, the banana uh, banana boat uh, by Harry Belafonte. Mm-hmm. And that's how it came to be. Amazing. It's so Meant good. to be. My favourite bit, you know, the, I don't know the woman's name. She's, is she Otho's partner? And he's really dismissive about uh, you know, like a tiresome suicide attempt or something. Yeah. And then she's the person that's really into it. Like everyone else is a bit embarrassed. Well, very embarrassed. But she looks like she's having quite a nice time because she obviously just wants to like cut loose. Well, I didn't understand her line um, where she says to Otho, uh, paranormal, is that what they're calling your kind I think these it's, days? I think it's a, um, a slur against his uh, gayness. Yeah. Yeah, I, did, I do too. and Because that's, that's all I could work it out as. I really think that's what it is. I think mm. they're in a couple, but it's an open secret that he's gay. Yep. And she's pissed off about that. And so she it's its a pejorative sort of attack on him. Good, good. That's what I thought it was as well. But I think this film's all about subverting your expectations. And here you're expecting something really horrible to happen. And then as you're watching it, you're thinking, I'd quite like to have that happen to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, just like in the way straight, straight after, rather than um, be terrified by what's just happened, they see it as a business opportunity. Like, no one behaves the way you would behave in real life yeah. in this movie. Uh, it's uh, It nearly didn't make it into the movie. This whole scene, Warner Brothers were like, no, this is stupid. Um, and it was on the cutting room floor until the 11th hour uh, when Danny Elfman came to the rescue and started inserting little uh, snippets mm. of, damn, insert earlier parts of the movie to lead up to this scene yeah. and Burton put it back in. And it is a great scene. I mean, I, 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 perhaps not as much now. I didn't enjoy it as much because I think it's one of those scenes, like you were saying, Chris, it just comes so out of the blue when you're watching this movie first time round that it can never repeat that trick. Mm. But the first time I saw it, I was like, the fuck is going on? Yeah. Brilliant. So uh, it was... Um, Obviously, uh, we talked about this on the Demolition Man episode. Glenn Shaddix, uh, he died in 2010, and this was the final song played at his funeral. Oh, that's lovely. So, um, because even though, again, sketchy rules, I know you're going to say Victoria, Mm -hmm. sketchy rules, but because 
Barbara only says home, 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 not Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. He's still out. Even though they've escaped the model, he has been released, which is how we get the snake banister yeah. mm. at this point. Um, Truly the stuff of my nightmares, a giant snake head. This mm. is what I have as a recurring nightmare. And so maybe it came from here, I'm starting to think. Do you really have a recurring nightmare, Brussels? Mm. When, I'm, when I'm really overtired, I get yeah. these night terrors. Like when I come back from a festival or something and there's a, I can, I'm aware of a snake in the corner. Whoa. And I know that if I look at it up in the top corner, if I look at it, it will come at me. So I don't look, I don't look, I don't look. And then when I look, this giant head comes at me and I wake up wow. sort of terrified. <laughs> wow. And watching it, watching Beetlejuice this time, I'm thinking, yeah, this could be from yeah. Beetlejuice. Juice. That's your whole life. Bastard Timber. Well, I mean, it didn't look like Keaton to begin with. Uh, this was just a regulation snake. Uh, it was after <laughs> they'd finished the shooting. They were like, this needs to look more like Keaton. A you I, snake. Yeah, I, I think they started this early and they hadn't got Keaton at that point, but they were like, it has to look more like Keaton so people know yeah. it's Beetlejuice. Should have used George Clooney. Why is that? Because you love talking about that film where the snowman Michael Keaton is actually George Clooney. Oh, Jack Frost. Mm. Yeah, we need to do Jack Frost versus Jack Frost at some point. <laughs> <laughs> you want to talk about perverted ghouls? The snowman <laughs> in evil Jack Frost is... Have you watched it? Yeah. Okay, yeah, it's bad. We can't possibly do it. <laughs> I do know that. And talking of uh, perverted things, uh, Juno has distracted Beetlejuice with Dante's Inferno Room. <laughs> I love that. The whole house is my idea. <laughs> I do like that. It's great. Um... So at this point, Lydia, the Maitlands have uh, decided to stretch their faces. Lydia is by the model. Uh, I remember the stretchy face thing really disturbed mm. me. Yeah, it, it reminds me of the Screaming Mad George effects mm. from um, Society. Yeah, like, and I it's think horrible. They're, they're maybe the same year. And so yeah, this was obviously in the air. This this gooey it's, stretchy. It's Adams. Adams stretched face is the worst. At mm. least then um, Barbara's is slightly comedic. Well, Adams is just horrible. Yeah, and on the poster, which is <laughs> mad. Uh, so. I find it interesting. Lydia's conversation with Beetlejuice, um, where he's trying to trick her into saying his name. Why do his, Why does he have to trick her? Because he can't say his own name and he can't tell her what his name is. When did we find out? I'm asking. I'm not being bossy. When did we establish he can't say his own name? Because it's the movie just... And, <laughs> and my mic's cutting out. but And, and that's... And you, so you know, yeah. Oh, sorry, it's my mistake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's not a random rule at all. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sure it must be in there. I don't know. I missed it. If I, it is, I missed it. Do you know what? I think it, may, it might be a carryover from seeing the movie before and go, no, he says that in the last time I watched this movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, unfortunately, we are here to analyse films, but this is a film that shouldn't get too much analysis, I don't think. I know. It's mm. just, it's the, the plot is not, it's strong suit. Mm. So you just sit back and enjoy the performances and the visuals. Yes. 100%. <laughs> 100%. Um, it's weird that the only allusion to uh, Beetlejuice's sort of like tragic backstory is this moment where he's sitting on the graves looking fucking cool in that suit, the way he's sitting on those graves with his legs up on a headstone. I'm like, cool. Uh, is where Lydia goes, I'm, I, I want to get in. She's trying to kill herself because she wants to get in. Yeah. And he just looks at her and it's the, genuinely the only like authentic word he says is like, why? And <laughs> yeah. you're sort of like, okay, there's more to that character. Doesn't need a lot. Um, but anyway, she realises... Do with a bit more. <laughs> <Go on. laughs> she realises that he's the snake. She's like, hang on, you're the snake. To which he replies, what snake? You kids in your imagination. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so Otho summons the Maitlands by accidentally performing an exorcism, which we know is bad because earlier the movie bothers to tell us something the Frighteners cannot even be bothered to do, which is that there's a threat to ghosts, that if you are exorcised as a ghost, you will end up as a lost soul in that horrible room. That is bad. We have a definite threat. Yep. Frighteners... Doesn't even bother to do that. Oh, don't, don't you? Just you. I'm just coming you at the wait. Frighteners. <laughs> yeah, you should. <laughs> I'm coming at the Frighteners already. Believe me. Oh, was that that room from earlier? That's yeah. the Ross Souls room. You know, like the window. And <sighs> I thought that never came back. No, that comes back. That's why this is, it's the same green glow when they're on the table and it's right. suggesting that if they're exercised, they will end up forever as lost souls. Okay. I hadn't picked that up. Why they have to be in their wedding clothes? No one knows. Eh, they needed something from the house and... For whatever reason, that's what they found. D- Delia hadn't thrown them out. Or is it to explain the new random rule in a bit where Beetlejuice must be married? Does give it a very wedding theme. <laughs> uh, in- indeed. What's the next thing I've written down, Victoria? It says, We have a new rule. Lydia promises to marry Beetlejuice if he helps the mm. Maitlands. So that means he can, in his words, get out of what? Yeah. Uh, what's he in that he needs to get out of? <laughs> I don't know. Jeffrey Jones in a movie about a child predator. Not good. <laughs> and yet he's not the child predator. So No. When you saw it when you were young, did you think, oh, hang on, that's a 15-year-old girl getting married to, getting no, married at all. But of course not. Do you think Tim Burton thought it? Like, does no one go, whoa, hang on. I know he's meant to be, so there's a difference between cheeky pervert and marrying a child. And did it work um, then? But marrying a child for reasons that aren't that he fancies the child or that he wants to be with the child or that he's any romantic interest in the child. Marrying yeah. the child because he needs that to get him out of there yeah. and she's the only person in that location yeah. who he can do that with. So there's no there's no romance, there's no sexual connection. There's no like, oh, I really like her. There's, it's literally, <laughs> I want to get out of wherever out I'm getting of. Is that even right? And that's the person I need to <laughs> but do even with. But okay. even if there was, and I've got no problem with my villain. Never said. Her age is never said, by the way. Never but she's said a kid. She's, she's a kid. You know she's a kid. She's at school. She's about 14. I've got no problem as well, though, with a villain of a film that should be 15 um, wanting to marry a child bride. Like, he is our villain. Yeah. What's weird is that it got turned into a children's cartoon. Yes. And it became a children's <laughs> character. That's, That's what sort of messes with them. Yeah. But obviously we did that a lot in the 80s with, with Freddy and everyone got a cartoon, didn't they? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Did Freddie get a cartoon? I might have made that up. <laughs> but Robocop did. A lot of other people that shouldn't have done did. Uh, and so it's the it's the climax now. It's showtime. Love it. I love I, I love that because I once I once wrote a joke about that. About how you know, when I used to do stand-up, yeah. you know, about being that dickhead who like to themselves just before they went on stage went. It's showtime. Does anybody do that in your I have experience? No idea. <laughs> and I never even did it. You're I not just... even tempted. No one could hear you. I would if that was my life. Really? A little bit. All right. Jack Lemon famously used to say, "It's magic time." Just before he would shoot. had sex. <laughs> uh. So we get the big climax, Beetlejuice emerges as a merry-go-round. Yay, uh, best bit. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. It's great. It's Burton. It's uh, old Jack Skellington on his yeah. little head popping up there. And uh, Robert Goulet and his wife get smashed through the ceiling. <laughs> 
Uh, also, he transforms his suit into a light blue lounge That's suit. That's funny. That's funny. Are you kidding me? That's the. It's so not funny. The worst in the Capitol Otho is wearing a light blue suit. That's no, funny. No, but it's too. It's too insular. I agree with Chris. I also agree with you. I think the problem is that you want Otho has kind of been a villain throughout. He's the yeah. irredeemable one, and that's the payoff for yeah. Otho. Fate worse than death for Otho. Uh, <laughs> maybe, yeah. But I think for the audience who don't necessarily know the ins, <laughs> the ins, and, ins outs. and outs of New York fashion, you've got that German expressionism now, though, haven't you? With the freaky sculptures coming to life, this right. is all like some 1920s Fritz Lang nightmare. Married in red, you will wish yourself dead. So obviously, Lydia is getting married in red. Looks cool. Does. Very great outfit. Good uh, colour. The priest <laughs> is brilliant. Uh, Beetlejuice mimicking Lydia is brilliant. <laughs> it was I'm, weird. To I'm, f- <laughs> I'm Lydia Deeds and I'm sound of mind. <laughs> yeah, oh, my good. man. What a wonderful man he is. <laughs> Tony Cox is the priest. Is he? Yeah, of Bad Santa Fe. Really? Yeah, that's him in the costume oh. there. <laughs> Give him more to do. Uh, it's just this whole bit is just so anarchic. I love it. Yes, zipper mouth, brilliant. To the riveted metal mouth. I just don't know how they got away with it. Yeah, it's not uh, really an ending. No, it's just a lot of stuff happening, and yeah. it's funny. It's funny stuff, but it's not a film. Uh, we can talk about that. Uh, my biggest laugh in the movie. I've seen it so many times, and I enjoyed it. I didn't laugh uh, on this watch. Is the bit where Barbara unzips her zipper mouth and says Beetlejuice for the second time, and he goes. <laughs> Why is that cracked you up? I don't know. It's just, it's just his reaction. <laughs> Why is that? I don't know. You're making me laugh, but it isn't that funny. She says Beetlejuice. He goes, huh, and puts the zip on her mouth, and she goes, Zip. Beetlejuice. He goes, <laughs> It is funny. You're right. Uh, I, I just, I he's just, just very laughing. funny here, isn't yeah. it? When he suddenly pretends he's unsure about getting married, it oh, yeah. comes out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. He starts getting cold feet. Oh. And so uh, Barbara rides a sandworm through the ceiling, killing Beetlejuice, or not, whatever the death is. Something. It, it, ghosts can die. Um, and uh, the Maitlands and the Dietzes live happily ever after together in the house, sharing Lydia as a daughter. I, well, no, I think the Dietzes might have just given up responsibility. Yeah. yeah. She's yours. But they're happy that the house that house has been redecorated. Their whole thing was about the interior mm. design. Yeah. And they are now coexisting as a sort of big, extended, uh, you know, non-traditional family unit. And Charles seems happier than ever and Delia's happier than ever. And I don't get it. Like, what what's made them happy? Charles should be happy because yes. he didn't want the house changing in the first place and he wanted to yes. stay yeah. living in the country. True. But Delia's happy because she's been inspired by Beetlejuice to create art. Oh, okay. Oh, that's nice. But the fact that it required Chris on this episode to point that out to both of us, I agree with you. I'm a little bit like, there's been no, there's been nothing to explain Delia's switch from suddenly, even if you're making art, if your whole thing is like, I need to redesign this house. Yes, she's very firm about that. To be livable in. Yeah. And then she is happy at the end living in a rustic farmhouse. Yes. Doesn't make sense. No. We're going to talk more about that. In mm. McDowell's gone. We don't have to. No, I need to because it's in the Because he's written it down, babe. It's so. in the bits. <laughs> uh, Lydia's happy now as well. She's going to school. She's wearing white. She's She's got parents that love her and yeah. take interest in her homework. And it's a very happy ending. Mm. Uh, in McDowell's original ending, uh, Beetle just screams in frustration and pain. One last terrific bolt of coloured lightning envelops him and causes his wings to burst into lurid flame. He leaps high into the air, smashing through the ceiling and explodes in a massive display of fireworks. Cool. Uh, Warren Scarran's ending, I'm going to discuss in a moment. Uh, but it did end with, um, as I said, he had a lot of uh, blues. Uh, Lydia 
I was singing Percy Sledgers when a man loves a woman. Oh, I love that in song. Percy Sledgers' voice. <laughs> um, it's a different beat to end on, though. It is. It is. So it took a lot of money at the box office. Seventy-three million, uh, just over seventy-three million dollars on a fifteen million dollar budget. Uh, as Chris mentioned, it got an animated series because kids fucking loved it. And uh, yeah, Beetlejuice and Lydia show. were best mates, and they'd go on adventures together. I think I've seen it. Mm-hmm. A stage show, which I think has just uh, come back after the pandemic in the New York. Uh, and after the success, Warner Brothers went to Burton and went, all right, you can make Batman now. And because Burton loved Keaton so much in this movie, he cast him as Bruce Wayne. It would have been mad to cast Michael Keaton before this film, but even madder to cast him after. 100%. <laughs> Imagine, they'd be like, what, that guy? No. <laughs> Anyway, one of the greatest decisions in film history. Brilliant. Yeah. Still the best Batman. That'll ruin ruin that episode if we ever get rid of it. Agreed. I I went early. On both counts. I went early. (laughs) Oh, dear. Uh, So, um, Scarum was brought on to uh, Batman to rework the script. He got co-writing credit with Sam Hamm and Batman obviously was a huge hit. Uh, But a year and a half after Batman made over just under half a... Billion dollars worldwide. Scar and died of bone cancer. His second collaboration with Burton obviously changed the face of superhero cinema, uh, but it was his first that brought him the most gratification. In a biography of Scar and called Rewrite Man, uh, it says he was proud of helping shape a character who, on the page in some of those early drafts, had been unlikable and not accessible at all to the average viewer. He helped make him so accessible that the character was getting fan letters. Oh. So he bloody loved Beetlejuice. The last script he wrote was the sequel. That's right. So we should talk about the sequel. You're 100% correct, Chris. His so one was called Beetlejuice in Love. Yeah. Which is, I think, different to the Beetlejuice Goes Hawaii, which was the one that's sort of more mm. famous. So Beetlejuice in Love, which was uh, Scarin's uh, script, uh, centred on a romantic triangle involving Beetlejuice, an opera singer, and her dead fiancé. Uh, but that was uh, that was shelved after his death. Um, but yeah, Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. Mm. Do you know about it? Now, I th- I'm going to have to think back now, but isn't it something to do with him trying to scare off some developers who are going to develop a beachfront in Hawaii. Sort of. It's the Dietzers. Uh, the Dietzers buy uh, a hotel to turn into a resort in Hawaii, but they don't realise they've built it over an ancient uh, Hawaiian kahuna's burial ground. And that evil spirit comes back and Beetlejuice actually, by the sounds of things, helps the Dietzers uh, defeat this big kahuna spirit. See, I feel like anyone can summon Beetlejuice, so I don't know why we need to be with the Dietzes. I would, I would just go in a different direction if I'd done, if I got a sequel off the ground back then. True. Uh, it featured a scene where Beetlejuice wins a surf competition using magic. Um, Tim Burton thought it was just such a perverse idea to have Beetlejuice from the first movie in a tropical setting. Yes, of course. Kevin Smith at one point worked on it. I was sorry, Kevin Smith was asked to work on it, but chose to work on the Superman Lives script instead, saying, didn't we say everything we had to say about Beetlejuice in Beetlejuice? Must we go tropical? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe so, but I, mean? I mean, Burton is, talks about it every few years, doesn't he? <clears throat> well, it's back on. Is it? I mean, I don't know. Well, more so than it's ever been recently. So apparently Brad Pitt's production company Plan B are starting filming this year. It was announced only two, three months ago Mm. that they were making a second Beetlejuice, a sequel to Beetlejuice that Keaton was involved in, that Winona Ryder was involved in, the only person that is unconfirmed, which is where it 
becomes sketchy, like you're saying, Chris, because I think Heaton only said he'd do it if Burton did it or mm. vice versa. But Burton has not mentioned uh, any involvement in it and he doesn't have any upcoming projects on be- IMDb. Because of the makeup. Because he's watching YouTube. <laughs> because of the makeup, he could look exactly the same, I think. Of course. Yeah. And he's still got that he's still got that physicality. But yeah, it would be weird. I mean, it is a surprise. Beetle it's a surprise that Beetlejuice didn't come from the mind of Tim Burton. Yeah. Because now it's just inseparable, isn't it? I, I you couldn't imagine this without him. Yep. Right then. Any more for any more? No. Let's do the bits. Uh Chris, what's your best scene? You didn't mention it. Um okay. uh, the ending. Um with the head shrink. Oh, I, I skipped over it, didn't it's I? It's quite a big moment. Um, I just think it's one joke, but I think it's perfectly written, it's perfectly timed, it's really well played, and it's really well shot. And I like going out with a dark joke like that. And it was shot afterwards as well, after test audiences went, we bloody love Beetlejuice. Mm. Burton was allowed to go back and film that as a little extra scene at the end for a more of a payoff for Beetlejuice. Vicky? Uh, when Beetlejuice turns into a, like a full fairground and blasts Delia's agent and his partner through the ceiling because that's the moment for me that's the most proper combination of story plus effects where sometimes the story's not great, sometimes the effects are awesome but they're not really that connected to the story. Or what do I mean? Like, I mean like in the waiting room, I, I get that, that moves the narrative forward but it's more decoration than plot. Whereas emerging as a fairground, your guests would be impressed, yeah, the effects look amazing, it looks like the most burton bit of the whole thing. Mm. And it's just a good combo. And Michael Keaton's obviously very good in that scene. Uh, I'm picking where Beetlejuice first meets the Maitlands when he bursts out of the grave and it's a full tour de force performance from Michael Keaton. It's it's incredible. Minus the upskirt. Yes, of course. Of course. Uh, MVW, Vicky, most valuable whatever. What is the most valuable part <laughs> of this movie? Well, I think Harry Belafonte might should get a shout out because over the years, that's the only thing I remembered from this film was Yay! yeah, basically. But when you watch it again and you're a bit more sorry, a bit less hungover maybe, and not so much in need of um, a KFC, then you can see Michael Keaton's uh, grandeur for what it is. Mm. So yes, Michael Keaton. Chris, Alex, are you picking Michael Keaton as well? Uh, no. Okay. Well. Yes. Okay. Uh, Did I just talk you into that? No, I wrote down two. I was like, so it's a very hard one. This is the genesis of the Burton look, and I I loved it. It's a film that made me fall in love with him as director. But in 17 and a half minutes of screen time, Keaton just creates this iconic, enduring character. The thing is, it's Tim Burton who let let Keaton do that. Mm. Like he just said, you know, go wild, go crazy, have fun. He let Keaton off the hook and didn't sort of go, don't do that, don't do that. And so really, I'm picking Burton. Screw it, I'm picking Tim Burton because he was the one who unleashed Keaton. I mean, it's got to be one of the two. Mm. So I'm going to pick neither. And I'm going to pick a man who pulled a lot of these visuals together. And also, at the same time, met, fell in love with, and then married Catherine O'Hara. <laughs> Bo Welsh fucking nailed it on this one. So, yeah, I'm picking him. He had a good movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he made a bad movie, but um, he worked with uh, Tim Burton several times after this. And yeah. so it's one of the great partnerships, I think, because, you know, Tim Burton gets so much credit for all the visuals, but he obviously, Bo Welsh has been a very important collaborator for him. I'm picking Michael Keaton, actually. Do you know why? Because I always think back to that year where he was up against Eddie Redmayne for, was it oh, The Danish Girl? or Bird, Was it Birdman? Birdman? Yeah, Birdman. I can't remember what movie Eddie Redmayne was up for. Maybe it wasn't The Danish Girl. Anyway, Eddie Redmayne won the Best Actor Oscar 
and there's that heartbreaking moment where Keaton's got his speech and already no. in his hand and he hears Eddie Redmayne's name read out and he just slips it back into his pocket. Oof. And I think giving him the most valuable whatever on Clash Pod makes up for that. It goes some way to making up for it, definitely. All the way. All the way. <laughs> Read the same speech, mate. Get in touch. <laughs> so, uh, what would you change, Chris? So, I know um, I'm always saying I like a bit of mystery and horror. I don't need everything explained. I'm going to change my mind on this one. Um, I want, I need to know more about Beetlejuice. I want to understand a bit of his motivation. I, I think that might go against what the reason this film was made and why they chose that. But that mystery, it frustrates me. I just think the character is so interesting. I want to know more. So I would have some kind of backstory or... Disagree strongly. Sure. I, I just think he, I, I, he only works because of like that the fact that he has no backstory or at least... There's just an allusion to it, but that's fine, V. Thank you. I, do, I hate the ending. I hate the ending. I don't like the idea of Barbara and Adam hanging around for 125 years and looking after Lydia because then when Lydia's dead and then they've just got to do it all again, I find it all very unsatisfying. Mm. So I think the sandwich, this is actually what I, th- this is how I thought it. And you know when I do that thing, I was like, that's how I thought it ended. So that's how it should end mm. <laughs> over the years. The sandworms are a test on the way to heaven. They're purgatory. They're not the moon of fucking Saturn or whatever. Titan, yeah. Ta- whatever. So when girls first see that, they're scared because they have to be ready to cross and, and, Lydia, and Adam and and Barbara aren't ready to cross because they weren't ready to die and all the rest of it. So what happens to them with the Dietzes is a test. What happens to the Dietzes as a result of the Maitlands brings the family closer together. And so at the end, the resolution is the Dietzes are reconciled because there's conflict there with mm. about stepmom and all the rest of it. And Barbara and Adam are ready to cross and they, st- they stand in front of the sandworms. They're like, we're not scared. We're OK. And they pass over to the other side. Finn. All right. And a little bit more about Beetlejuice we know yeah. as well. <laughs> Go on out. Uh, so two things. First of all, if you're going to have sandworms outside the house that look like big snakes, have a snake crawling over the house at the start, not a spider that you throw, throw out the window. Because nice. it's like the, yeah. then he's thrown that out of the window and it's like, oh, my God, are we really dead? Or is I created that sandworm? Yeah. Main thing is, and it's a bit of a cheat, uh, I think Warren Scarron's original ending is the best ending. And Warren Scarron's original ending as he's Beetlejuice ending up trapped on the roof of the brothel in the model, surrounded by sandworms, which he said earlier he's terrified of. Mm. But more importantly, it ends that the Dietzes have moved back to New York. Charles and... Delia have gone back to New York and it ends with a phone call of Jane asking them if they can sell the now empty house. And they say, absolutely not. We are never, ever going to sell that house. Cut back to the house and it's Lydia and Adam and Barbara and they're living happily together as a family. Lydia goes to school. She lives with them in the house and it pulls out. And you see the outside of the house and Lydia's designed it as a haunted house to keep away any potential visitors who ever come to it. Yeah. And it just feels like Delia doesn't love Lydia. She's a stepmom. She doesn't care. Charles feels like he feels like a man in his own little world. Mm-hmm. Like he just wants to be left alone with his books. So Lydia is better mm-hmm. off with the Maitlands. And I just think that that to me feels like every, every box is ticked. You don't have that stupid question mark, which is how they're coexisting in that house. Yeah. Well done, Warren Scarin. Yes. Indeed. Shall we do a quiz? Let's do a quiz. Great. So, we had a wedding in this film. We're going to have a wedding in this quiz. Okay. How much do the pair of you remember about Saturday? (laughs) (laughs) I think I've got this. 
Yeah, okay. Bear, 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 bearing in mind, before she left, Vicky reviewed my best, uh, my groom speech. Oh, wow. <laughs> Did I? You were on fire. Yeah. Was I? You, you went hard. It's un- unexpected, I-, I will say. Hey, how you doing? I didn't like your speech. Why is that? <laughs> you, you, could, you had an opportunity there to just be really honest with people, really show yourself and... You just like being a showman. I was like, cool. <gasps> wow. I'm so sorry because that is what I think, but I was like, don't say it. <laughs> oh, you said it. Yeah. <laughs> when have you ever not said something you <laughs> think to so me? Sorry. I have a feeling, <laughs> Alex, so you're going to remember more about the day than Great. Vicky, but I've got questions for both of you about the day. So this is this is my wedding on Saturday. This is your wedding oh, on Saturday. Right. I, I spent some of it writing a quiz. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. So, kicking off with... Uh, Which and means you had the best day. <laughs> <laughs> um, at, 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 right, you can answer this one first, Vicky, but then okay. you've got to follow up. At what time, yeah. to the nearest minute, yes. did James declare Alex and Nettie to be husband and wife? Oh, God. What so to the nearest minute? It started a bit late and then it went on quite a long don't, time. Don't say you're thinking out loud because yeah. he's going to also guess. So if yeah. you... 12.46. 12.46. Alex, I'm going to say one fifty-three. One fifty-three is what I'm going for. I'm Vicky's much closer. It was twelve fifty-five. Oh, I'm in twelve fifty-five. I thought you did. Oh, you would have had it exactly right. Jesus Christ! But you got it wrong. <laughs> Lucky. You we would have got the, it. Ex- we were at the pub at twelve. At one fifty-five. Of course we were. Oh my God! I of course mean, we were. Jesus. Unlucky. Christ. It's all right. Did you start reviewing the ceremony as well then? That's amazing. What do you mean? Went on a bit long. <laughs> yeah, but to be honest, they always do, so yeah. that's not that's not shared on you. Right, yeah, you're both going to get this, so it's whoever shouts it out quickest. Okay. Um, who sung the song we sang at the end of the ceremony? The monkeys. Correct, Alex. <laughs> it was I'm a Believer and it was lovely. Thanks. Um, how did a tooth get chipped? Uh, my mum's dog bashed into my brother's <laughs> wife's face. Fuck off. Did she chip her tooth? Half her in front of <gasps> her. Oh, yeah. Are you joking? Oh, yeah. Because no. of a dog? Border terriers have incredibly hard skulls, it turns out. She was talking to me at the time and then the dog arrived no. and she screamed and ran for it. And I came to follow because I wanted to say hello to Georgie as well. And by the time I got there, it all happened. Yeah. Oh, no. She, she didn't scream and run away. She loves the dog so much. The dog, <laughs> no, sorry, yes, I should have said that. The dog and her just mistimed their greeting because oh the dog jumped up just as she bent down. And he's such a little dog, but mm. wow. She had to have like emergency like dental she, work. She I was mean, so chill. It's not the first. She wasn't, she wasn't rushed off in an ambulance. <laughs> there wasn't she's, blood. She's going to get it done when she gets back to I it. Think like, I, I think like me, she's chipped her tooth multiple times exactly. in the past and she was so chill about it. It was great. God, that's very impressive. Oh, that would have ruined my day. <laughs> okay. Uh, during the speeches, what brand of cigarette did someone claim they smoked after having intimate relations with someone else's mother? Oh God. A Lambert and Butler? Nope. Is it is it high-end cigarette or a low-end yeah. cigarette? Benson and Hedges. Think about who said it. I don't know who said it. <laughs> a camel. It was the best man. It was Dave. Obviously, oh, it was Dave. Um, he said after he had sex with Alex's mum. Yep. Can we Correct. Not? Yeah, there you go. Jesus Christ. I wasn't going to say It was somehow better on the day. It was almost excusable. Please stop saying had sex with Alex's mum. But I didn't word it. it now. Yeah. Oh, my God. I didn't I word it that way initially, but he felt like you needed more clues. He was like, oh, I'm really nervous about the speech. I was like, why? Is... I was... Again, I was like, it's going to be really sincere. He's your best friend. You've got nothing to worry about. Oh, yeah. And then he gets on. He's like, well, 
when I fucked your mum. <laughs> wow. Did you, did you like any part of the day? <laughs> of course I did. I'm sorry. Of course I did. I just Ceremony thought... was too long. Best man in Alex's speech. Bullshit. It weren't bullshit. I just thought you were going to be sincere. Do you not feel my mum did enough sincere fucking tea? Look, we to... have this con- I remember this conversation mm. now. Yeah. yeah. She ticked a lot of sincerity she boxes. Did. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe too many? <laughs> According to you. That was hilarious. People didn't know, need to know about my childhood excursions with a known paedophile. So, really? Your mum was on form. She was on it's fire. That's one way of putting it. Yeah. She was on fire. Um, what did my partner come home with from the wedding aside from me? Pregnant. Cake. No, neither. Vase of flowers. Vase of flowers. Close. Flowers. Close. Uh, the bouquet. Your mum gave them to her. Shoes. It was. It's a kind of flower. Marlboro lights from Dave. <laughs> yeah. It came as a pack of three. Oh, cacti. Cacti. Wow. <laughs> did, did you steal them? No, Pam gave them to me. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> she could have taken more. I just ship all that back from the pub the following morning. Oh, yeah. She, she had, your mum did actually give some, well, some of the flowers in the jar, but I said, no, put them back. We're not taking everything. You should have taken them. I know. I wish I had now. Uh, and finally, you get to answer this first, Alex. Um, and it is in minutes and seconds. How long was the best man's speech? I'm going to say about 10 minutes too long. And <laughs> no, it was about, I'm going to say 12 minutes and four seconds. Vicky. You need this. I know. So I was going to say 12 minutes, but I think it went a bit longer because it felt quite long. So I'm going to say 13 minutes and two seconds. It was uh, 14 minutes and 36 seconds. Well done, Vicky. Oh, she she must have enjoyed it because she won the quiz. (laughs) We have a draw. Oh, it's a draw. We have a draw. One second. I'm being sincere. It was beautiful and it was lovely and I'm sorry I said what I shouldn't have said I'm really sorry it's alright it's not alright I realised how drunk you were yeah because you're like open my card now <laughs> I was like I'll just open it I've not opened any of them yeah. no open that one it, what you, was inside was it a sincere message yes it was, it, it was a, well you wanted to watch him read a sincere message that you've written yes I want him to be real <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know that it was that sincere it no actually like, it was played for laughs it was like there ain't no party than a party that's been waited for three years and then I was yes. like and you looked at me like and I was like, oh, it's now very laugh. it's very good. <laughs> and you were like, it's real. <laughs> Be real. Be real for I once. Like, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> it's oh, fucking it's midnight. Fucking... <laughs> we're being kicked out of the pub. And you're like, Be more real. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> and do you want a tiebreaker? Yeah. Uh, this is not anything to do with the wedding. Okay. This might be a hangover or something uh, last week. What was the name of the little car that a British boffin unveiled in 1985? The Sinclair C5. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. You, you, would say you wanted it last week. You got it this week. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> right, got married on Saturday in a really authentic ceremony. Uh, and then won the quiz. Man, I'm on a roll. <laughs> well, it's good that you won your own uh, <laughs> wedding quiz. Yeah. It is. It is. <laughs> uh, right. Thank you very much for that, Chris. That was wonderful. Next week, Victoria, it's your choices for our clash pairing. Yep. What is your clue? We might have used this one before, but this is the one I've got. You ready? Mm-hmm. Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? Okay. Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? Is your clue for next week's choices? You'll have another clue popping up on Twitter, courtesy of Chris. That is it, though, for this episode. Uh, please do follow us on Instagram and 
Twitter? Yeah. And TikTok, even, on Twitter and Instagram. We are at ClashPod. Just search ClashPod on TikTok. Uh, please subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and don't forget, there's loads of videos from the show uh, on the lovely cameras. Let's all wave one more time. That worked really well last time. Hello. Uh, we just waved at the cameras. We'll put that on our Instagram at ClashPod. We'll be back on Thursday. Have a lovely week till then. Bye-bye. This was a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.